Welcome to the Impact Wellness Podcast, a place to be for ambitious and driven women who dare to fail to raise again. It brings you brilliant minds with the knowledge and passion for helping you discover your feminine inner success code that has the potential to reset and redefine your physical, mental and emotional health and well-being. Our conversations are profound, transformational and purposeful. Listen to our next episode. Phil Richards holds a BSc in sports nutrition, clinical nutrition, medical nutrition, sports nutrition, hormones, blood chemistry analysis, gut microbiome detoxification, mitochondrial function, blood sugar regulation, immunology, and many others qualifications in strength and conditioning. Philly has probably in turn with more experts in the field of strength and conditioning and nutrition than any other coach in the world. Phil's mission after 35 years of coaching people is to give you the most effective information to acquire optimum health and lose excess body fat safely, effectively and long term. Hello Phil and uh, welcome to our time and our interview. I'm very excited to uh, have this conversation with you. Um, We're going to discuss fat loss, redefinition of fat loss, what women are missing from that scientific point of view. And I know that you've got so many informations um, that you want to share that are very crucial. And we are today together with Phil on kind of mission to change the thinking, change the mindset uh, and uh, give our women a new, like we said, new approach uh, to get better results and more sustainable uh, results uh, with uh, fat loss. And actually, you might be surprised that it might be not the fat loss, but actually muscle gain that is all about. So Phil, once again, welcome. Hey, thanks for having me, Daria. Um, I think one of the biggest misconceptions in, in women's health and especially women's weight loss, because in fairness to women, they have many, many excuses to become obese because nature's been pretty cruel to females from, you know, from an obesogenic perspective. Women are so much more effective at storing fat than men. And for obvious reasons, you know, during sort of pregnancy, it's good to store this extra fat from an evolution perspective. And that's why women, by the way, will usually store more fat around the hips and the glutes because they're in breastfeeding. That's where a lot of the fat is going to come off. And ironically, one of the most effective things for women, if they are, once they do give birth, for example, just in, the, in this phase of life, is to breastfeed for as long as they possibly can. Okay? And that's another huge problem that we have today is that, and, and ironically then what we also know as well is that when the baby is on formula fed, it is far more likely to become obese than if it was breastfed as well. And the mum then doesn't lose the fat on the hips and the glutes, you know, where nature wanted that to happen. So around three years would have been an optimum time limit for breastfeeding. If you go back to our evolutionary days, which we still program, we still sort of really genetically tied to that era. There's been some slight changes over the years, but what I discovered, um, you know, I think it was around 10 years ago, I wrote one of the most comprehensive books written on fat loss. It's called The Science of Fat Loss. You know, it was a 730-page book. It took me over 10 years, by the way, to gather the information on that book. And, you know, and that was whilst working as a head of strength and conditioning in professional sport. And what I realized very quickly, even going back to 1997, when I first started in professional rugby, is that exercise is not that effective for weight loss. I can tell you that now. And especially, you know, because I saw um, professional rugby players at the highest level, a lot of them were clinically obese, you know, so, you know, that, that was one thing. But I'll stick on, on track with the, with my research, what I discovered, because I went back and looked at evolutionary traits. Why are we known as the fat primate, okay? Now, there's some incredible traits that's gone along, and I'll get more into women's fat loss in a second, because it's, it's totally related So over 40 million years ago, for example, we lost the gene for vitamin C. Now, it was thought really that that we lost that gene because we were primarily fruitarians. But it's turned out that's a bit of a myth. We lost that gene because it allowed us to store fat more efficiently during (coughs) times 
during times of famine, okay? And what we know is if you optimize vitamin C levels, you can increase fatty acid oxidation, fat burn about the 30%. Now, I also run a lot of lab work in my clinic. You know, I do a lot of blood work, a lot of stool work, and you will see in 100% of people very, very low blood levels of vitamin C, okay? And, it's, it, and there, there are so many carry-ons for that, by the way, as well. But there was another evolutionary trait that took part then around between 9 and 15 million years where we lost the ability to degrade uric acid. Okay, now this gets really interesting, so bear with me. So we lost that ability as well, which also allowed us to store fat more efficiently, especially from fructose. Okay, and the vitamin C also, when we lost that, was to, to allow fructose to be stored more efficiently as body fat. Okay, and if you think about it from an evolutionary perspective, why we were so effective at surviving so many famines and ice ages and all that because we could store fat so efficiently it, it was just incredible when you really understand the mechanisms then i discovered then for example that our omega-3 to omega-6 ratios as you know over but back in our evolution days was around one to one ratio and this is even more important it just this just because you'll get a pattern very and you'll realize while the cool fat loss industry is completely going down the completely wrong road, okay? It's right, it's getting lost and it keeps hitting the walls because they're too busy counting calories and doing cardio. It is absolutely, it will work short term, but the tide will always come back in, okay? Now, this is mind-blowing because I do, when I run one of the most comprehensive blood panels, I'd probably say in the world on, on, on sort of the blood work that I do, and one of those is a very comprehensive fatty acid panel where I look at the omega-3s, omega-6s, saturated fats, etc., trans fats. Now, the ideal ratio of omega-6 to omega-3 is around four omega-6s to every one omega-3. On average, you will see in the Western world, it's at least 25 omega-6s to every one omega-3, okay? Now, from a fat um, perspective, omega-6 actually signal the body to store fat, and the omega-3 signal the body to release fat, okay? As well as a million other things I cover on a course that I've written. So already, what you're already seeing, right, is people with low vitamin C levels, right, with iuric acid levels, which is very common, then with a very imbalanced omega-6, omega-3 ratio, you're already starting to send the wrong signal. Okay, The body is saying, look, let's store. This isn't the time to burn. And then another real interesting caveat to this as well, when they looked at vitamin D levels from our ancestors, when they go back to East Africa and they look at indigenous tribes there, and they look at the vitamin D levels, and you'll see where I'm going with this in a second. We would, on average, be exposed to around 8,000 IUs of vitamin D if we were taking it orally from the sun. Okay, that's how much. Now, why that becomes really interesting as well is that vitamin D acts as an energy sensor. When the body has optimum levels, it's much more happy to release stored fat. Okay, it feels very comfortable. Now, again, in 90% of people I test on vitamin D levels, that exception, it was a little bit better since the, um, you know, the, the pandemic sort of thing, where people are a bit more aware of vitamin D. But there's a real important point with vitamin D, okay? I mean, vitamin D, as you know, is a hormone. It's just incredible. You know, it's the most important, you know, sort of one of the most important factors, I should say, for the prevention of cancer. But the problem when you take vitamin D orally is that you cause a chronic magnesium deficiency, okay? There's eight steps from inactive to active vitamin D, and every step is required by magnesium. Now, the reason why I say that, I also test red blood cell magnesium when I do the blood work that I do, and in 100% of people, you are gonna see the most chronic magnesium deficiencies you can ever imagine, and why that's an issue as well is that magnesium is so essential for insulin function, okay? And when, as you know, when insulin doesn't function efficiently, you will keep the fat the fat storage switch on as well. And actually, you end up that you can't build muscle because insulin, by the way, is probably one of the most important hormones for, in fact, it's the only hormone, as far as I know, that stimulates the ribosomes to build protein, to build muscle. And that's why insulin is never the enemy. What you've got to do with insulin, you've got to get it working for you. And I kind of, you know, in, in one of the courses that I give, there's lesson three is all on insulin because insulin can either make you really obese and sick as a dog, okay, as you know, or it can make you super lean and muscular, okay? But there are many, many things that will inhibit insulin's function. And do you know what? One of the worst is actually saturated fat. And that's why I'm really, I mean, I wrote a book on the ketogenic diet. It's 
the ketogenic diet is very effective for weight loss, but it's exceptionally ineffective for building muscle. And the reason why is, is that you don't stimulate insulin enough to stimulate the ribosomes to build muscle. Now, as you know, from a weight loss perspective, the most important thing I should say to enhance fat loss is undoubtedly to build muscle. Okay, so it's a completely different um, philosophy or approach that the vast majority of people are doing. You know, if you go to any gym now in the world, first of all, 99% of the people who are in there are trying to lose fat, yeah? You know, no matter what, they want to. They all want to look better. So, so they're either doing the cardio, you know, they, they're cutting their calories and everything else. But to build muscle, it's to optimize your calories, okay, to optimize the nutrition and then to optimize the resistance-type training that you must do. And we can talk a bit about that in a bit shortly. So what I discovered also, why we become the fat primate as well, which is really interesting, other primates have got very low body fats, okay? We can, as you know, we can just keep gaining fat forever. You know, we are so effective. Now, the reason why the primates find it so difficult in weight is well, they have much more brown fat than what humans do. We lost that genetic capability as well. I think it was around 7 million years ago. And that makes sense as well because, you know, that allowed us to store more fat as well during times of climate changes and food shortages. So things like um, things like melatonin and thyroid, for example, will stimulate brown adipose tissue. We know that time-restricted feeding can do that as well. We know that cold um, therapy can also increase that as well. So there are a number of things that will also do that. So, And then the other thing, because lesson one of the course that I did was what's driving the obesity epidemic, first of all. Because if you don't know what's driving it, you're never going to resolve the problem. And on paper, as I said, the... The calorie in, calorie out theory makes total sense, but in the biological, you know, soup of the human organism, which has evolved over millions of years, it's a total pile of baloney. It just makes no sense whatsoever. You know, when you understand our calorie was first calculated in a bomb calorimeter and try comparing that to this incredible complex organism, anybody with a rational brain would say, that is just, that is stupid. You know, this is just, you know, so for example, one gram of fat, as you know, in a bomb calorimeter will give you around nine calories, yeah? But saturated fat behaves completely different in the body to omega-3 fatty acids, to omega-6 fatty acids, to trans fatty acids, to, you know, omega-9. It's complete, and it's the same as fructose and glucose have got exactly the same calories, but fructose is much more likely to be converted into fat and glucose is much more likely to be burned as fuel you know, and then different types of protein. Soy protein will behave very differently to, say, beef protein, yet they got the same calorific content. So the calorie in, calorie out thing to me is just nonsense. And, you know, and yes, if you go in a calorie deficit, you will lose weight, but there will be millions of years of evolution now that will say the tide is going to come back in. And what people don't know, um, Daria, is that the only organ in the body that determines how much fat we carry is the brain, okay? So the brain is the key to fat loss, you know? So there's around 10 hormones that we know so far that when you reduce calories, the body doesn't think, oh, this is great. He's trying to get a six pack, or she's trying to get a six pack. She thinks, holy shit, this is code red, okay? We, we don't know that there's a supermarket down the road and there's a shitload of food in the fridge. Yeah, we think, right, okay, so then, Things like your, your ghrelin kicks in. Okay, Now, ghrelin is a really interesting hormone, by the way, but the, the primary hormone is leptin. Okay, Now, very few people really understand that leptin, which I test on my fat loss panel, along with adiponectin and ghrelin, which very few people even test, yet they are the primary drivers also of this obesogenic epidemic that we've created. So leptin will signal the brain from the fat cells from an evolutionary perspective that look, you've had enough to eat, yeah. Now put down, you know, put down the food. And if there's any extra food you've eaten, it can burn that off. And the reason why it was so effective because we couldn't be fat hunter gatherers, okay? We wouldn't have survived as a species. You couldn't have obesity, and so that we've got a number of mechanisms in place. We've got so many mechanisms. As I said, when you're hungry, the urge to eat is more than any other urge a human being will have because we know without food and sustenance we can't survive. So you can imagine 
that, you know, when we cut the calories, it's like, yeah, you know, that's fine. Nothing's going to happen. There's no way, okay? Now, what leptin is really interesting as well, leptin really controls the thyroid gland as well. So when you do cut those calories, leptin levels will start to decline and it will lower the metabolic rate, which makes sense as well, because if you can imagine, it doesn't make any sense when you're lowering calories and you're doing more exercise that you don't, you know, from an evolution perspective, there would be nothing left of you. The body would just burn itself out. So there's all these mechanisms kicking in, you know, and leptin today is so interesting because, you know, you hear of insulin resistance, but leptin resistance and insulin resistance sort of go hand in hand as well. Okay. Now what's causing insulin resistance is also very similar. What causes leptin resistance. Now what happens? You could be, you could be grossly obese, but the leptin signal now is no longer telling the hypothalamus, look, you know, you've had enough to, to consume. It's as if you're starving all the time. And to add insult to injury, then the, the, the sort of hypothalamus is also going to message via leptin to downregulate your thyroid. So the thyroid now becomes a lot more inhibited as well. And, and if you know anything about the thyroid, I mean, I, I write about the thyroid extensively. Once the thyroid becomes um, inhibited and decreased, I can tell you now, and ironically, the more then you lower your calorie intake and the more access to the more dysfunctional the thyroid becomes because of reverse T3. Anyway, so when I was looking at the lesson two in the brain and, and I was looking at what's causing leptin resistance, I was just blown away, okay? Because, and it's not in any particular order, gluten will tag leptin and it will prevent leptin from going into the brain, okay? So again, you get this constant anger feel. I said it could be 150 kilograms, but you're frigging starving, okay? Um, we also know that sodium, high-sodium diets does, does this as well, okay? And also with high-sodium diet, there's a pathway. It's the only pathway, I believe, that has ever been recognized, which actually increases fructose production internally. And the fructose then gets converted into, into fat, especially in, in the liver. Now, the other thing that does that as well is monosodium glutamate will also bind leptin, also, high saturated fat diet will prevent leptin from getting into the brain as well. There is a reason for that, but I won't go into it yet. And also C-reactive protein. So the more, the higher the C-reactive protein. Now, what's really interesting with that is, is that the more abdominal fat you've got, the more C-reactive protein you're going to release. So there's, there's so many things now which are inhibiting this hormone, which was designed from an evolutionary perspective to stop us from becoming obese. And that signal is being inhibited. Now, the food manufacturers have done a real dirtiness as well, okay, because what I also discovered is, again, one of the driving factors behind the obesity is that, again, from an evolutionary perspective, if, if we had stuck to the natural diet, you would only see a very small percentage of people becoming overweight, and that's been throughout the ages, okay? It's around 2 to 3% that store fat more efficiently than the other. You know, today in the UK, it's around 67 to 69% clusters of beasts, okay? And it's more than that. If, if I'm honestly, whatever I go, I'm just like, you know, what the fuck has happened? Because everyone I'm looking, I am just seeing obesity on a level. And it's not because these people are gluttonous. There was so many reasons. Because I want to go unwind a little bit as well, because people don't understand the incredible negative effect that the pesticides, the herbicides, the fungicides, the drinking, the tap water, etc., all the toxins that are having on, not only on our endocrine system, because they, as you know, they call endocrine disrupting chemicals. They interfere with the way the hormones are working. They damage the DNA. They drive the cancers. They drive the obesity, the diabetes. Okay, and I give a whole kind of lesson on this as well, because it's quite extraordinary. Because when I wrote my last book, which was titled Stop Killing Yourself with Your Knife, Fork, and Thoughts, and it was on cancer, heart disease, obesity, diabetes, and dementia, and obviously emotional well-being was the last chapter. <clears throat> the conclusion I come to, which after like 35 years of studying was like, oh, hang on. There's only really three drivers of all these diseases, okay? It's quite simple. It's nutrient deficiencies, it's toxic overload, and it's chronic long-term stress. That's driving all these diseases, you know. But the medical system is trying to design drugs for every friggin' single episode but they're never, ever going to beat these diseases because the only way you beat the diseases is to prevent it. And, of course, there's no money in the prevention. There's, there's no money in that. And that's not even being cynical. You know, so these toxins are so deleterious. It's just quite incredible. So when I look at blood work, there's certain markers in there that I look at, like 
GGT is one of them, glutamo, um, glutamotransferases, and it's a marker for glutathione production, okay? If that marker is really high, it means glutathione is really low. And, to, and if ferritin is also high as well, and GGT is high, you're in trouble. You've got to move quickly. Then also looking at liver pathways and kidney pathways for detoxification and the bowel, looking at how well we eliminate because you've got to make sure that you can eliminate the toxins. And more importantly, stop using all the wash care products, which are full of all the parabens and all the lead and mercury and everything else, cadmium, because when you rub things on your skin, a woman on average, by the way, will put on approximately almost five pounds a, a year of cosmetics onto their skin. And around 60% of that is absorbed straight into the bloodstream. It's another reason that there is a huge epidemic of cancer. Things like the tampons then are having huge problems as well. So if women are using tampons, I go all this in lesson four in the course, I go into things like, because what I discovered, things like endometriosis, fibroids, and polycystic ovary syndrome were driven by exactly the same thing. I couldn't believe it. You know, like it was nutrient deficiencies, it was the toxic overload, and it was the stresses. And they caused all this hormonal imbalances. You know, so that was the amazing thing. And I work with a lot of women, menopausal women, PCOS, endometriosis, fibroids. And the the sort of, the, the, the to resolve those issues is always the same. A, a really high organic diet, okay? real high quality protein, reverse osmosis water filters, lots of real high quality sunshine, barefoot walking as often as you can, deload your emotional stress. And the body always wants to be healthy. When it's healthy, it will start to respond much better to exercise as well. So you can start to build more muscle tissue. You start to lose fat more efficiently as well. You know, so there's, and that's what I do. So when I look at blood and stool, I can look, I don't even need to know your name or see, I can see straight away like, this person will not respond to exercise until we resolve the estrogen levels. You know, for example, the vast majority of women today, no matter what their age, not even men, are so low in estrogen and progesterone. It's just incredible. Now, estrogen is so important for building muscle. It's just quite incredible, you know. And I don't know if you ever heard of muscle satellite cells. Okay, they are the sort of precursors for building muscle. Now, estrogen in females will activate the satellite cells. It also increases insulin sensitivity. It also downregulates one of the most important fat storage hormones, which is lipoprotein lipase. And it also is antagonistic to cortisol. So that's another reason as women age, as they come into the perimenopause, 40, 45, 50, they start to gain this weight because these hormones are also in decline. But I see them low also, I have to say, in 20-year-old women as well. But as a side note, one of the interesting things I found, because I witnessed my wife going through the menopause, I met my wife at 48, we know both 55. My wife had a six pack, she was absolutely shredded. Then at 51, she went into the menopause. And then, you know, in that period, she put on about 24 pounds. She didn't change her diet, she didn't train her ex, she didn't change her exercise habits. Okay. And like diet was just fantastic. She's a pescatarian, you know, and I do all the supplements. Anyway, so it forced me then to look at much deeper. I did a number of courses then on um, female hormones. I studied also with a gynecologist. Um, that wasn't that helpful, to be honest. Most mainstream medical people are not that clued into things like this. But it was it was interesting because it got me to know all the anatomy and the physiology, etc. Anyway, it was only until we put her on body identical hormones, okay, that the magic really happened. Because the reason, one of the primary reasons women will gain this exponential amount of weight during that period is that when the ovaries shut down, right, where do you think in the body is going to produce all the estrogen? It's abdominal okay. fat. Exactly. And that becomes the third ovary. And it keeps laying it down. Now, what I also discovered, I had a gut feeling. I thought, it's more to it than this. There's other things going on. And then I discovered then that follicle-stimulating hormone, which goes off the charts, as you can imagine, when you're menopausal. So for those who don't know, LH is your luteins and hormone, FSH is your um, follicle stimulant, and they work with the ovaries to take you through the menstrual cycle. When the ovaries stop working, they start to elevate. Now, what's interesting as well for women watching this who are starting to flush, what's causing the flushing, by the way, is the luteins and hormone, okay? It's the surges of the luteins and hormone, and that's what's causing the obesity. It's the combination of low estrogen, low progesterone, low testosterone, the insulin resistance, but I also discovered high follicle stimulating hormone will also signal the body to keep storing more fat in the abdominal area. So how do we then offset that? 
we've got to first of all address all the nutrient deficiencies as well because the biggest gripe i have with the menopausal medical system is they only focus on estrogen and progesterone they don't even test the bloods by the way you can get you can phone up i listen to my wife phone up the doctor no blood tests and why that's important is that i've got a 54 year old female client who's going through the menopause at the moment she's not full blown into it but what she's got is, like if she'd phoned a doctor like my wife did, she would have been put straight on HRT as well. And when they say HRT, for those listening, make sure it's bioidentical, okay, not the synthetic version. And I give all the research on how, how chronically detrimental that is for human. It should never, ever been sold to any females. And they know that, but they're not, they haven't got enough dignity. There's too much money in the lies, you know, so they keep lying. But the 54-year-old female... Her estrogen levels were there, but the progesterone levels were in the basement. So she doesn't need estrogen at the moment. But if she had been given it by a medical doctor, it could have caused all sorts of problems, you know. So you've really got to look at blood work before you make the, you know, before you start sort of recommending the right sort of doses. And um, but what I saw with my wife, once we eventually got the right HRT and with the right nutritional plants, I'm unbelievable. I mean, the weight literally fell off her. It was just incredible. And also the sleep. And the reason why the women going through this period, the sleep is so, it's so brutal. My, I mean, you know, it's just like if you, you know, having slept with a menopausal woman, it's like you're up 19 times a night with a one minute, as you know, the quotes on, the quotes off, the windows open, the fans on, fans fucking off. And, you know, but never ever say to a menopausal woman, look, you know, you're waking me up because she might put you in a neck hold, yeah, and just headbutt you to death because you never mess with a menopausal woman, they can get nasty. Anyway, and, and the reason why is that the hormones have a huge impact on the mood as well, okay? But from a sleep perspective, the reason why the sleep is so bad, again, is that estrogen will increase serotonin in the brain, progesterone will, will, will increase GABA in the brain, okay? It will lower the stress hormones, and you have a sense of calmness as well. And also, you lower the LH, you stop flushing as well. Okay, my wife was flushing like, you know, like, you know, like 30 times an hour, it was just insane. You know, so I've witnessed it first time. So she was a great case study because I think if I hadn't witnessed it, I would never ever really had any understanding because obviously, you know, I, I'm, I'm a fucking bloke. I'm a high performance strength and conditioning coach with a thankfully high knowledge in, in blood work and that. But seeing it, then that allowed me, then I did, you know, I started running courses then on the menopause of females and then giving courses on like fibroids and stuff like that, really understanding it because today's person is so, is so dysfunctional today because of the amount of toxins that said we've been exposed to from the womb all the way through, okay? And that is, it's an area where nobody's really looking at because these toxins interfere with the way the cells are functioning. And what humans don't really understand, there's only really, if I'm honest with you, there's only one disease, and that's dysfunctional cells, because that creates all the diseases. So if you can keep the cells really healthy and you give them what they really need, you are, you know, because that's all we are, as you know, is around 60 trillion cells. And I should add around about 100 trillion microbes as well, which I've studied in great depth as well. So, you know, so there's, you know, there's lots of things. And just on the nutritional front, as we age, and like I look at, as I said, the blood, and I also look at food diaries as well, and women's food diaries, the protein is so miserably low. And this is, this is going to be of interest now a second, because what's really interesting with protein, first of all, there's something known as the protein levering hypothesis theory, okay, which was discovered by two guys who were studying locusts at the time. And what they discovered with locusts, locusts will keep eating and eating and eating until it's met its protein requirement. They will even eat each other, okay? If they have enough protein, you know, you're fine. They found that's the same in mammals, okay? Now, with humans, the protein that we consume, if you look at the typical diet in the UK, you know, you know, male and female, but she'll have a bowl of breakfast cereal, you know, you're looking at about nine grams of protein, okay? Then maybe a sandwich for lunch, okay? Maybe another 9, 11 grams, okay? And then she'll have an evening meal. And there may be 30 grams there. The problem is that the brain now is thinking, I need more protein, okay? And you're going you're gonna to eat, eat as much as you possibly can trying to find the protein point. So it turns on the appetite massively, okay? Now, secondly as well, because you need to be consuming, especially when you get past 40, at least 30 to 40 grams of protein with every single meal, okay? And the other reason that not only does it turn off the satiety switch, 
but it also turns something on called mTOR, which is the mammalian target of rapamycin. What that basically means, it's the most important pathway for muscle protein synthesis. Now, so if the woman is missing out on these feeding opportunities, she is going to end up also having sarcopenia, okay, muscle wastage, because already at that age, anyway, the hormones are in decline, which are crucial for maintaining muscle mass. She's now not feeding the, the, the muscles with the optimum amount of proteins. And also of interest as well, we know that toxins also cause sarcopenia as well. So by the time she gets to 50 and she's starting to transition through the menopause as well, there is no hope, honestly. The tide just comes in and no amount, as I said, you ain't going to outrun it. You ain't going to outwalk it. You ain't going to outdiet it. You've got to resolve the problem that actually produced you know, all the issues that produced the problem. You know, so that's why there's certain markers in the blood, for example, like um, urea levels and creatinine levels, which will give you a real good indication on are you consuming enough protein in the diet? Are you already starting to see muscle wasted? And then this is where resistance training comes in as well. Because if you consume 30 to 40 grams of protein each meal, you turn on the mTOR switch, okay? But resistance training can turn it on for hours, okay? And it's got to be, you know, women don't understand, right? I mean, I run an online coaching program, and one of the ladies doesn't live that far, so she'd come over, and i said, look, come over and train, because I want to – she'd been training for years. She was 55, I think, and, you know, and, and you know, she had these two-and-a-half-kilogram dumbbells, and I said, you know, no. I said, that's bullshit. You're way above that, okay? You know, and we ended up, like, squatting, like, 60 kilograms off to the floor. She'd never even been in this world. She said, oh, my God, I didn't realize you. I was that strong. I said, you've never challenged yourself. I said, because – You've got caught up in this world of, you know, that, you know, you just use light weights and that will work. The body is so smart. I can tell you this for a fact, right? The body will not gain muscle unless the stressor is severe. And the body won't respond to that stressor unless the organism, you, are healthy. Okay. And that's why I'm really big, as I said, on optimizing nutritional status, optimizing hormonal status, decreasing inflammation, increasing emotional well-being, then you rock up the gym and then you can attack it, okay? Most people train today, there's zero intensity in the training because their body already on the way to the gym has said, hey, take it easy, I'm tired and this and that and everything else. And the other thing that's really important, which is also massively overlooked, is the importance of the gastrointestinal tract, okay? Because I also like, one of the big markers that I look at is stomach acid, Okay, now stomach acid, as you know, it's in a lot of people, it's very low, no matter what age you are, but it does go much lower, especially after the age 40 plus, okay? And there's a number of reasons for that, okay? And I'll come into that in a second. But when you, even just with HCL deficiency, hydrochloric acid deficiency, you can't absorb the protein nowhere near as efficient. So you may be eating your 30 to 40 grams each meal, but you're not absorbing the protein. Now, what's surprising First of all, you can't make any HCL without zinc. Zinc is one of the most common nutrient deficiencies, okay? I see that in at least 90% of my clients. Also, the um, the electrolyte chloride, I see that low in a few people, not a lot of people, but Helicobacter pylori. Helicobacter pylori, which in the UK is in over 50% of the population, I test that. As you know, it'll eat away the stomach wall, so it will prevent the parotial cells in the stomach wall from producing HCL, hydrochloric acid, and it will also destroy intrinsic factor in that stomach wall as well, which then inhibits B12. So you can have chronic nutrient deficiencies, whether you're a vegan or a meat eater, if you've got helicobacter pylori. So you've got to check that. Then I go further down then, and I look in the stool. There's a marker there called elastase 1, okay? I think it's, it's elastase 1 or elastase 2. I always forget. But that now will indicate how effective the pancreas is releasing enzymes to break down proteins, carbs, and fats, and also, by the way, cancer cells. When that marker is low, right, you need to move pretty quickly because disease is coming. Okay, so that's a huge marker. You know, and I look at things then like, um, you know, things like calprotectin, which is a marker of inflammation in the bowel. So if somebody's got a lot of inflammation in the bowel and they've also got high levels of ferritin, yeah, this is a good time to come off red meat for a couple of months, okay? So that's the only time I say that. While And, and also if the omega-6s are really high as well. Look, we need to heal you first. We put in things into the system, which is just throwing 
fire on the, on, you know, petrol on the fire sort of thing. You know, so we need to heal the, the gastrointestinal tract. So there's a number of markers there, like looking at blood in the stool. You're picking up all the red flags before they become real issues. So, and that's so important because if the gastrointestinal tract and the microbiome, as you know, um, is so relevant to not only our, our health, but also our weight. Okay, so there's a, you know, if you're familiar with the microbiome, I, I was fortunate to do a, like a very advanced course now a number of years ago. And what I was blown away because ironically, I was just about to write my second book on the ketogenic diet. As I'm doing the masters in the microbiome, I realized the gut microbes absolutely have got a major problem with saturated fat. And so is the brain. So it's just like, okay, you know, and that's when I wrote my last book, Stop Killing Yourself with Your Life Thought and Thoughts. But the microbes, people don't realize what they've done. For example, I'll give you a great case study, which is in, in the medical journals. There was a 32-year-old female in Long Island she was from who had C. diff, okay? And they couldn't resolve the problem. So they took a fecal transplant from her 12-year-old daughter, and her daughter was very obese. So this woman at the time was only about 130 pounds, maybe even 120 pounds. It was nothing on her. Anyway, once they did the fecal transplant, three years later, she was like 70 pounds over. And even on liquid diet, they couldn't get her weight done. And they've done very similar trials where they've done the same. They've taken fecal um, sort of transplants from obese twins. They put them in the lean twin and the lean twin starts to gain weight and they've done it with mice. So the point I'm making is, is that the microbiome is also playing a significant role in the amount of fat we carried. And over the lot, when they look at the microbiome of say the Hadza, indigenous people, their diversity in the microbiome, it, it, they, they, the researchers have said it's like looking at a completely different species when you compare it to the Westerner. The diversity is incredible. I measure diversity in the stool, and in ours, it's just so low because not only have we had a lifetime of antibiotics when we were very young, which, as you know, is wiping out the microbiome, the, the vaccines seem to be having some effect on the microbiome. Then you're looking at the foods that we now consume with the pesticides and everything else. I'm speaking about the chlorinated water is also having an effect on the microbiome. So again, you've got to look at everything. So that's all you're trying to do is to ensure if this person wants to really get lean, you've got to optimize health. Okay. And that is it. And, you know, and, and you know, it's, you know, it sounds like too simplistic, but that is the absolute optimum truth. You've got to optimize the person's not only physical health, but absolutely emotional health because people can think themselves obese. Now, there was, a, there was an incredible trial that I um, study that I read. It just blew me away, to be honest, because they wanted to understand why night shift workers, for example, gain more weight than non-night shift workers. And we know that sleep plays a huge part as well. But what they did in this particular trial was um, – they bathed pluripotent stem cells, which can become any cell, right, and in cortisol. And if they did the cortisol for short bursts, then you didn't really, there's only about 1% conversion into actual our fat when, you know, as a living organism. That's a natural turnover. But when they combined it for 48 hours, when they were stimulating long term stress, almost every, all the pluripotent stem cells were converted into fat. And that's happened also, by the way, if you, if, you, if you know any of the work of Bruce Lipton, you know, the guy who wrote The Biology of Belief, you know, going back to 1969, you know, when he was told by his mentor, he said, look, you know, if you ever see a problem with the cells, you've got to look at the environment. Don't look at the cell, okay? And then he went on and did a great experiment. As you know, he sort of, he incubated about 30,000 stem cells. He created a different solution in each Petri dish. And all these stem cells are identical. And then he put one group in this A, one in B, one in C, one become muscle cells, one become bone cells, and one become fat cells. And as he said, it, it, the environment will do that. So we can emotionally create an environment which can trigger much more um, body fat than what we would have done, even, you know, even though there's no calories coming in. So we can, you know, and there was another great trial, for example, um, I think it was in Charles R. Drew University. And what they did in young men, this was, they reduced their testosterone levels by 50% over a six-month period. Those men gained 36% more fat mass when they dropped the testosterone. And, and the point is, all these hormones are doing this. It's not the calories. The, you know, I tell people, when you look at your plate, look at it how you feel that the, the hormonal reaction is going to be. You know, and as you know, if that plate had three donuts on it, and it was say 900 calories, or you had, you know, like, you know, a nice bit of steak, you had jack and potatoes, some sprouts or whatever, same calories, 
what what the hormonal response is going to be, as you know, state in the office is completely different. But I want people to understand though, the emotions are so important. Creating emotional well-being, and you know, the last lesson I give on in one of the books I wrote as well, and in the course, is all on emotional wellness. There's some incredible studies in there. You know, so, um, you know, if you've got any questions, just, you know, please fire away there, you know, because um, I can talk all day on, on, on the subject. It is wonderful. That's why I didn't want to disrupt you. I was uh, very patiently listening because everything that you are saying, Phil, and I want that audience uh, really takes this into the heart and women takes this deeply, very deeply. Everything what you say, I see in my clinical observation. And yeah. I have been running also um, uh, testing and everything what you said, cortisol, gut, hormones. Um, I see 100% lots of women with uh, low testosterone, free available testosterone, problems with sleep, gut issues, um, like I say, high stress. And, uh, and this notion of um, low calories. Yeah. And, and that is just insane. It is just like evolution from all these uh, diets that women went through in their 30s. Now we have a consequence of it. They are now 50s. Yeah. They deficient in nutrients. Yeah. They uh, disbalance completely hormonally. They don't have lean muscle mass. Uh, they are brainwashed. They are frustrated because now they suddenly get in menopause. They they cannot even recognize that they're going through menopause and perimenopause. And now we want to put them on HRT without really assessing what their life has been life, life. And that is the solution. And I don't want to go against anything. I still think we should work in collaboration if it's possible. Yeah. But that that is not the redefinition of menopause that I see. And there's lots of going on about menopause in workplace and all of this. But if we don't improve women's nutritional status, physical being, yeah. mental and emotional fitness, and we and you know what I see also feel. Um, the separation now we are all hooked on mental health yeah and the definition is let's just address mental health we forgot now about physical health yeah. so we then go into go into spiritual being in 10 20 years time right as we are all awakening and then we go into forget about mental health and physical health so again this is disadvantage because we separating human being apart instead yeah. bringing pieces uh, together but coming back, everything that you are saying is confirmed in my clinical practice. Yeah. And I love clinical application of what we are learning from scientific research. Because as you said, um, calorie is not equal calorie. And I see women going on this thousand kilocalories, counting every single calorie into my fitness pal. And you know what? They cannot lose weight. Well, one of the largest studies were, was done via the UK. I think it was Stanford and another university. It was a 21 million pound nutrition study, which is a you know which is pretty incredible for nutrition because they not, don't normally throw that money. At it. And it was on the calorie in, calorie out um, equation. They wanted to find out. And I will quote the lead researcher. I think it was Tim Spector. They pretty much said counting calories is a complete waste of time. Stop putting it on food labels. They were using identical twins, for example. So they'd give the identical twins exactly the same meal with exactly the same calories. There could be a completely different hormonal response in each twin, even at different times of the day that they would consume. So, you know, it's... And when you when you go into that low calorie, I don't know if you ever you, are, you, are you familiar with the Minnesota starvation trial? It was the most comprehensive ever trial. So it was in the second mm -hmm. world war, even though it was almost 80 years ago, this was an incredibly in-depth trial, okay? And it sort of goes on, and I'll, I'll explain a bit more on this as well. And then I'll explain that, that I'll go back to one of my favorite studies, the Hudson. Anyway, the Minnesota starvation trial was on conscientious objectors. They recruited 30 out of 200. These men were very, very motivated to help in the war effort in the Second World War in America. What they wanted to see is what the how the Europeans were going to survive on certain amount of calories per day because obviously there was massive food shortages, etc. Anyway, so this went on for a 12-month trial. It was an incredible. I document every part of it in my course because I think it's the most important um, ever study done 
on calorie deficits, okay? Absolutely, the men lost weight. And they only, they brought him down in stages. They did it really, you know, they, they didn't just dive into it. And it was by Ansel Keys, the guy who unfortunately completely screwed the cholesterol theory up. And that's a whole nother story. And, you know, so what they discovered, when they brought the men's diets down to about to 1600 calories and they were walking them three miles a day as well all the pictures are on, on, on you know you can find it on google it's incredible anyway the men become so obsessed with food they were saying that's all they could think about i mean one guy cut his finger off on the trial because he just couldn't cope with it they were diving into refuge bins and all this was on 1600 calories the calculation they were making as well on how many pounds they would lose with a certain calorie deficit never ever come to any equation you know it was so individual and and, and a lot of the times it, it just stopped and of course that makes evolutionary sense as well the body just literally grinds to a halt now what's going on there is things like as you know things like cortisol levels are becoming exceptionally high so you're starting to break down the muscle tissue so you're just becoming a smaller fatter version of yourself the thyroid even after 25 days of low calorie diet the thyroid can be switched off for up to two years it can take two years for the thyroid to even try to come back. And the thyroid anyway, especially today, is so dysfunctional because there's so many things that is causing thyroid dysfunction. You know, and then also what's not known as well, um, there's something called myostatin, which will increase significantly when you diet. Myostatin is a bit like leptin in terms of myostatin prevented humans from an evolution perspective from coming too muscular. So we couldn't become too fat. I mean, leptin was that job. Myostatin prevents muscle going on, okay? As we get older, anyway, myostatin is elevated. Then you go on a low-calorie diet. So you're increasing your cortisol levels. You're down-regulating thyroid. You're increasing myostatin, okay? Yeah, and you, that's all you're concerned about is what's on the weighing scales. You don't understand. You're changing your body composition, as I said, to become more insulin-resistant, to become a fatter, skinnier version of yourself. And as soon as all these other hormones kick in from an evolutionary perspective, as I said at the beginning, the urge to eat then is so enormous. Now, things like ghrelin, for example, this is very interesting. So we know that ghrelin is so-called a starvation sort of hormone, yeah? But what ghrelin is really smart at, ghrelin actually also activates the lipoprotein lipase enzymes, which are the enzymes which are going to create more fat when you give up on your diet, okay? And you will, 95% of people do. The other 5% just live a life where they just, you know, they, they've got this, you know, I wouldn't even say willpower, but they, they, can, and they can cope with uncomfortableness, I suppose. But the lipoprotein lipase actually increase exponentially in numbers. So you become now so effective at storing fat. And they've done this, you know, when they look at the biggest losers contestants, for example, six years after, you know, as you know, where they've lost an exponential amount of weight, they even discovered that leptin, for example, was still 60% lower in those people the metabolic rate was significantly lower as well and out of the 13 or the 14 contestants on this particular um study i think it was a 2006 crew they all gained the weight back on and four of them gained even more weight back on because as you know that's what usually happens now what i ask people when i work with people and i send the questionnaires out to them there's three questions it's a very extensive question but the three main questions i'm after by the way is and this is so important and I do this even when I'm working with Olympic athletes and, you know, like, you know, world's strongest men and stuff like that, is how much love is in your life at the moment, okay? Because you can't, if you were going through a traumatic relationship or traumatic financial stress, et cetera, and you were not going to respond to it, you've turned on this fight or flight switch, okay? So the body can either be in build and repair or it's in fight or flight. It can never be in both, okay? And most people, so that's what the diet is doing as well, is putting you in the fight or flight, okay? So all the blood, which could be in the visceral, which is there for healing and repair, and now, as you know, out in the peripheries, because the body thinks, holy shit, you know, I'm, I don't know what's going to happen, but something's happening, okay? It doesn't realize, you know, you're trying to starve yourself to get a six-pack. Then also, just to add interest, the whole, the whole digestive system starts to switch down. The immune system absolutely dies of death, okay? You actually start thinking with a different part of your brain as well. As you know, you go from logical thinking in the prefront, and you go to hind brain, where well, you go into reptilian brain, sorry, which is survival mode, okay? And so everything is down right. You're starting to shift. But I always ask people, I said, how much love and happiness is in your life? Because I can tell you now, that is the biggest growth factor for any human organism. And if there's not a lot in there, you need to change. There's something not going on.
The second thing I ask then is how much stress have you had in your life from child to now, okay? Because if there's been so many factors there, that actually has a big impact on exercise prescription, by the way, because exercise is nothing more than stress, okay? You know, and I, I worked this out a long time ago. You know, I used to, I had a player in one of the rugby teams, for example, that I had with alopecia. He was bullied so badly by a previous coach. He was a brilliant player, but he couldn't cope with a lot of stress. So I would give him 30% of the training program compared to a lot of the other players. So th that's important because I want people to understand exercise is nothing more than stress. And you are not going to respond to the stressor if the body is already full of stress. Now, the third one, surprisingly enough, is what's in your mouth. Okay. Now, when you've got a mouthful of mercury fillings and root canals, I can tell you now, you, you're in a lot of problems. Okay. Because they're going to have huge problems because when you talk about mental health, I can tell a lot of problems today with mental health is that the brain is the most susceptible organ to toxins, as you know, because it's the fattiest organ in the body. So we've got aluminium in there. We've got mercury in there. We've got all these, all the toxins in there, all the pesticides. And the other big thing that we've got as well, the brain is starving. The brain, as you know, do you know that the, the, the two most important nutrients for the brain is, number one is cholesterol, okay? This is why these statin medications are causing absolute carnage. And I've also got some great studies also on how statins cause sarcopenia, how it causes muscle wastage. And, and it's pretty obvious how it does it because it interferes with all the steroid hormone production. It works on the same pathway. And also CoQ10, and that's another story which I talk about a lot. But the brain... The brain is absolutely starving. So the omega-3 content of the brain, now we've reduced the omega-3s in the last 80 years by about 80, 80 to 85%. The brain is starving. The brain is toxic. Now, when the brain is not functioning properly, you're going to have all sorts of personality problems, okay? You're going to have all these disorders going on. And that's and, and then you've got these so-called mental health and these psychiatrists who are trying. The only trick they've got is an SSRI, yeah, or some, you know, or some... Or, talk about your childhood and all that stuff and all that. The most important thing to do with the brain is to detoxify the brain, re-nourish the brain, and then reprogram the brain, okay? Now, mercury fillings, I can tell you, are absolutely catastrophic. I can speak from first-hand experience um, because I had, oh, about 15, 16 years ago, I was training a very famous fighter, okay? And then I went to one of the most famous boxing gyms in the world, and I was on top of the tree as a, as a strength and conditioning coach. But about six months before that, I'd had... Seven mercury fillings removed in one go, a root canal and a back mole. I was in the chair for seven hours, okay? But the dentist had done such a poor job removing the mercury. I didn't realize that I ended up such severe health problems for over five, six years. And then I started to really look into mercury toxicity and the degeneration. If people, I tell my clients, whether it's a menopausal woman, right, or whether it's an Olympic athlete, if you've got mercury fillings and root canals and you don't get them removed, go, go and find another practitioner. And I mean that. I won't work with them because it's that detrimental. Mercury will destroy the brain. It will destroy the heart. It will destroy every single cell in the body. And the root canals are very interesting because the root canals eventually will start spewing out toxins, which have a huge affinity, especially for the coronary arteries. Okay, so again, and the point of this is, I said, so if you're a woman watching this, you know, as I said, You've, you've got to you've got to deload all this, you know, so you can't expect. And I'll tell you the other tidbit as well, which is just so important. Toxins will also signal the body to lay down more body fat, okay, because the body's trying to get away from the organs. Now, in 2006, 2007, I spent one whole year as a body fat composition expert with three professional teams in England, okay, and they were like, one was a premiership football team, one was a premiership rugby team, and one was a super league team in rugby league, but all at the highest levels. Cut a long story short, I can say this categorically, okay? So every week, I would ever do body fat tests on over 130 players. Those who had the most mercury fill-ins, I can tell you this right off the bat, at the highest levels of body fat. And it took me a while to realize. And I was also then looking in, like, so these guys are also training 10, 12 times a week, okay? And then if they train in 10, 12 times a week, they're also showering 10, 12 times a week. Okay, well, you'd, you'd like to think so. So if you think about that, I was started looking into the parabens and all these sort of wash care products and realizing that they were very obesogenic as well, the mercury. So as I said, you know, I, so I don't even ask about diet until we start getting all this crap out of the body, you know, and you start creating. And when anyone says there's no difference between organic food and non-organic food, they have not read the research the research is so overwhelming. And just on one of those things like glyphosate, for example, 
glyphosate is one of the most it's one of the most used um, pesticides you know in the world and it's absolutely it's even worse than gluten for leaky gut okay if you're familiar with zonulin glyphosate is 10 times more powerful than gluten at opening up the gastrointestinal wall so again on these you know on the stool panel as i'm sure you know i always look at zonulin i look at lipopolysaccharides because for people listening to this as i said you know i didn't mention that in fact because the we know that intestinal permeability also known as leaky gut is a huge driver for all the autoimmune diseases yeah and also much greater likelihood for obesity and insulin resistance. And that's why never, I, I never test food sensitivities. Food sensitivity testing is a complete waste of time because unless you fix the gastrointestinal wall, you're always going to have food sensitivities. They'll change every week. You take these six foods out there, which were tested, yeah, but the gut is still leaky. There's food still coming across into the bloodstream. You're now allergic to these foods. So always fix the gut and, you know, so I, I kind of, go into that quite a bit as well. So just fixing the organism, detoxing it. And then, as I said, then the fun part is the training. You know, that's when you go to the gym and you can train with maximum intensity. And that's what it takes. Otherwise, you can't. And that's why every day in the gym, as I said, I look around and I think you might as well just, you might as well go to, go to the coffee shop across the road there because you are wasting your frigging time. And they're not, I don't even say that sarcastically. They, they just are, you know, so... But but that is true, uh, Phil. You see, we need to. What I like what you said is you came from the study on um, on group of men, and I'm like, that's why is the problem with female because we don't have enough studies and no one study us, right? And that's I think what was the problem with um, COVID vaccination because no one really thought that is going to have an effect on their menstrual cycle, which then they have admitted that it has, right? So we can uh, kill this topic here, right? Because we'll be a long debate here and conversation. But then you moved and actually you gave all those things that are affecting uh, female ability to lose fat and, and what affects our health at some point. Gut, toxins, stress, um, uh, nutrients deficiencies, uh, you know, all, all is right. And we cannot just say, okay, give me calorie in and calorie out. Give me this crazy HIT uh, training because it's short yeah. and I don't have time. Because yeah. that actually creates more stress. We are constantly in this catabolic um, condition with fight and flight response. And then female stays like that for four, six weeks. And she's like, I'm not getting results. Yes, the time is too short. That is number one. You expect yeah. too much, but you are under all of those conditions that you have to first fix. And that is the, the purpose of me picking um, guests that are a little bit more controversial here because we are not going to uh, watching anymore what is happening because we know that this is not going to bring results. We're going to have much more women entering with all this hormonal problems and um, health problems into the menopausal stage. And then, as you mentioned during the first half an hour, it's not the best terrain to fix all of these problems because we are already in disadvantage. Men having some advantage. The testosterone, yeah. in theory, should yeah. be higher. It is low. That's why it's the fertility issue. But then how can we help that women post-menopausal, with all of those things happening, with this disadvantage uh, in hormonal um, hormonal balance, right? So yeah. um, so all makes sense. I, I agree with everything. And um, like I said, we need this clinical, um, clinical proof on female. And I think me and you are a clinical proof because uh, studies, there, is no, there are no studies. No one studied female. Yeah, well, you know, even when they give menopausal women, for example, low-dose testosterone, you know, when they testosterone low, even without exercise, they will lose around nine pounds of fat and gain around six pounds of lean muscle tissue. You know, so again, I, I, and I go into this, I mean, I thankfully, I've done some, I've spent my whole life just researching, studying, actually working in the trenches. So just optimizing that because I think one of the best things to finish off on is I want people to really understand, right, is that you lose fat through nutrition, lifestyle, okay, 
emotional well-being and sort of detoxification but you gain muscle in the gym okay it's a completely different approach you know you, you don't try to mix them okay because as you know you can't out train the oldest saying in bodybuilding you can't out train a bad diet and you also can't out train bad thinking either okay you can't out train stinking thinking and you certainly can't out train a toxic load i can tell you that for a fact so as i said you could be going to the gym four or five times a week but you're still drinking tap water which is pretty much recycled piss with aluminium and it's just disgusting okay then you're using a plethora of wash care products which are not toxic free Okay, you're still consuming. I mean, things like tea, for example, um, non-organic tea has got an incredible amount of fluoride in it, which will absolutely cause thyroid inhibition, as well as pineal dysfunction as well, which is called melatonin dysfunction. You know, and you know, and, and so the point I'm making is, is like, you know, you've got to get nutrition, lifestyle, and emotional well-being correct. That's outside the gym. Then in the gym, do not kid yourself. Okay, if you go in there and you're doing a, you know, 10 minutes on the treadmill, yeah, and you're playing around with the pinky dumbbells and going through motions which has no bearing, it, nothing's going to happen. You know, you've got to make these changes. You don't have to do them overnight, but what the blood work tells me and the stool work, and I'm same as you, no doubt, in some people it says you need to move quickly because you have got so many red flags here, okay? And, and some people, we can do this in stages, but in, like, you know, I work with people that said, you know, from the world's strongest man right away through to stage four cancer patients and everything in between. I have to say, I do work with a lot of menopausal women. I really do. But it can be very individual. So you can have two menopausal women, as you know. Yes, always, most of the time, anyway, you know the testosterone, estrogen, progesterone in the basement. But also, when they're in a the basement, by the way, the thyroid panel can look normal, but the thyroid hormones need progesterone for receptor cell activation. And what people don't realize is where with blood work, it's a snapshot of what's going on in the blood. It's not telling you what's going on at receptor levels, okay? You know, because when you really study all these, for example, this is really, this is really, really interesting for androgens to work. And androgens, male and females produce exactly the same hormones as you know, but just in different quantities, okay? Now, androgens in male and female will make us lean, okay? So androgens are simply testosterone, dehydrotestosterone, androstendone, and DHEA. So they are male characteristic, but male and female need it. But you know what? One of the most important things that you need to understand is the receptor cell sensitivity to these, okay? Now, one of the most important nutrients which increases the sensitivity to these is omega-3 fatty acids, which is so chronic. So the point I'm really saying that is you could have optimum levels of these hormones in the bloodstream. If you look at the omega-3 panel and you're on the bones of your arse and that, Hey, they're not getting through to the receptor cells. We even know the way you train, by the way, can upregulate. So, so, for example, if I was going to do a pull-up, and I pulled up as explosively as I can, and I come down for four seconds instead of just coming straight down, I'm going to get much more upregulation of the androgen receptors on that as well. So, I mean, there's a lot more involved, but, you know, hopefully you've got enough there just to make people interested. Yeah, stop looking at fat loss through calorie deficit and exercising more it will work short term but the tide always comes in the best way to do it is optimize nutrition especially protein intake i do well on really low carbs i mean in the last eight weeks i've lost 23 pounds i i get really strong on carbs but i get really fat as well i've got other mates who get really superly lean on high carbs but i'm not one of them blood work will tell you that as you know if you look at things like insulin Fasting insulin levels, C peptide, hemoglobin, A1C, glycomark, etc. So you know what you do well on. So I mean, for me, I think the optimum diet, I have to say, for the vast majority of people, is a high protein diet. Okay, real high quality protein, but know your blood markers. Okay, supplementation. We can do another one on that because I've got some amazing stuff in supplementation, and also lots of vegetation above ground. Okay, you know all the cruciferous vegetables, always organic. And then on the fruit side of it, yeah, you can still eat fruit, but just organic fruits. But another important, when you get that type of diet, the glycogen levels, as you know, are so low, the body then can access stored fat. So don't fall into the trap either of snacking in between meals because the body will never access stored fat, okay, if there's food in the system. So the time-restricted feeding is also very important, you know, so maybe at breakfast, maybe eight to ten trying to have your breakfast so because it'll bring cortisol levels down okay you don't want the cortisol being around for too long and then maybe have another meal at four six o'clock beautiful 
this is all fantastic. That was the point of our conversation to bring you different awareness. Um, you don't need to keep counting every single calorie, but calorie quality matter. So we're yeah. not saying go and eat now uh, five, uh, I don't know, bagels, then whatever, right? This is not what we're trying to say, right? Yeah. We're just saying, think of the quality of, of what you are eating. And hopefully everything that Phil told you is, the, is going to open your perspective. And you began to ask questions because that is the power of it. When you start to ask questions, uh, you just grow and, um, and, and you're going to just win in that situation thank you for being with us and i hope the transformation in you just started remember be the change you want to see in others all starts within you take care